I'm Sarah Elizabeth Smith, and this is the Theosophia Podcast, a platform for women's voices in theology. You can find us on all of these social media outlets and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Check out our Patreon page and consider supporting this Labor of Love podcast for women's empowerment. Happy Veterans Day, y'all. Theosophia is beyond thankful and supportive of our fellow humans in uniform who have served and are currently serving our country. We love you all so much, and I wanted to give a special shout-out to Chaplain Jennifer Lane, who we've had on the podcast before. Thank you so much for your service, friend. You are a true shero. And I wanted to bring up a couple highlights from the week, especially the cool things that our badass women in theology are doing. A quick shout-out to two female priests that made history this week. Reverend Aaron Jean Ward was recently installed as the first female priest at St. Luke's Episcopal in Ada, Oklahoma. She's the first female minister in any denomination in Ada, Oklahoma. And I heard the ceremony was really beautiful and moving. And I'm so excited for Erin to be in the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma and share her, her amazing gifts and talents with us. She's a true blessing to our church and our state. So congrats, Reverend Erin. Next, the Reverend Kimberly Lucas was chosen as the 11th Bishop of the Episcopal Church in Colorado. She will become the first woman bishop and the first African-American bishop to hold the post in the state of Colorado. And I consider the Diocese of Colorado to kind of be my second home, and I always look forward to spending time with my community in Breckenridge I've gotten to know, and I'm so delighted that Reverend Kim is joining the Diocese of Colorado. I know her presence and perspective will be valued so much there, and I can't wait to see her, her live out her call in perhaps my favorite place in the entire world. And last week was a pretty historic week for women nationwide. Over a hundred women were elected to the House of Representatives and Senate from the midterm elections. And some of these women were also the first Muslims, the first Native Americans, first LGBT folk to be elected. And there were also several states that elected their first female governor as well. This is so encouraging to see. And even though Congress doesn't currently mirror or represent the demographics of the U.S. population. I think this election was a big step forward in representing the diversity of our people, and especially women. So praise be to God for that. Okay, y'all, this week is week two with the wonderful Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. We have a lively discussion about the ethics and theology of polyamory and ethical non-monogamy, and also just what it means to be in Christian relationality. Uh, so just like last week, y'all may have to listen to this a couple times to really soak in all the theological nuggets. There's so much depth and breadth to this topic, so I hope y'all eat it up. Here is Dr. Robin. This kind of makes me feel like it's a good time to move into the kind of polyamory discussion I wanted to have. Sure. Um, and just, I've, I've been wrestling with this so much, Robin, and I, I'm going to go ahead and apologize if I ask an ignorant question. Okay. Um, because I've been doing a lot of learning, talking to friends um, who identify as either polyamorous or ethical non-monogamous. And 
I feel like it's just something I've been seeing a lot, on a lot of people's minds lately out, out there. People are talking about it. People have been randomly asking me my thoughts on it. And I'm like, I, I haven't thought about it enough. Let me, let me think about it more um, yeah. and talk about it more. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just to tell you where I'm at. Um, but uh, yeah. So what is your, I'm sure you've just thought about this more than I have and probably just have more experience talking with folk, but I, it is just such a, a new concept to me and yeah. a totally new way of thinking about human relationality that like, I cannot get my head around it yet. I, I will, I will, yeah. but I just, I want to just have kind of a, a really organic dialogue about, about it, especially from a Christian ethical framework. I think that's where I, have the most trouble yeah. in explaining things from that language. And um, even like when I, I didn't even know the term non, you know, ethical non-monogamy until you sent it to me in the email. And I was like, what is, what is Robin talking about? Yeah. Why would we call something by negating it? Um, yeah. Which frustrated me at the, at first. And then I was like, well, then talking to other people, you got to be able to like, people assume that it's not ethical, I think is part of the problem. Would you say, um, let's just, let's dive into that first, like calling it the different names in which we call, call it. And like, how do we define polyamory? Yeah. I mean, well, let's also make, um, make a distinction that um, polyamory is, um, is a term that illustrates multiple love relationships that can be emotional, sexual, or otherwise. And um, it, it, is, it is a term that um, I find it to be a really, really white term, um, meaning that, that there are lots of white folks calling themselves polyamorous. Um, And one of the reasons why I prefer ethical non-monogamy is that it gets us out of a sort of white imagination of intimacy and relationality. Mm. Um, And so, you know, we always need to think about race and class uh, when when we're thinking about sex and sexuality, uh, um, so th- that that's the first thing I would say is that um, my experience is that polyamory is really dominated by by white folks, and is is a term that um, often points to a white imagination. Of, of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, so I just want to hold that. Mm-hmm. Right. Because labels and, and um, the way we name things is important. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 Um, and, and I, I like, I like ethical non-monogamy both because I think monogamy is a myth um, because 
we all have varying intimacies. We have varying intimate relationships with lots of different people. They, the intimate relationships may not always be sexual. They may, they may not always be emotional. Um, but when we look at our lives, we can look to see the sort of multiple entanglement of relationality mm-hmm. that, that, um, that, that may shift our imagination around monogamy. And, and I think we need to be clear about how relationality is, is shifting and changing in the 21st century. Um, and, and what the impact of, what the impact of monogamy has been on people and the ways in which it might reinforce sort of a Victorian imagination around sex and sexuality and relationality Mm. um, that actually we don't, we don't mean for it to be right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so I think that, I think that we, we should always be asking these questions about what do our relationships, what do we want our relationships to be? Right. Um, and how do we want to, to structure them? So I, I think that we should not just assume that everyone is monogamous um, because what we know is that, is that relationality and relationships and loving people is a political act. Mm. And, and the, the negation of monogamy is both raising a possibility that love and relationship and different forms of intimacy, whether or not it is sexual, um, is actually part of the Christian imagination of building the ecclesia. Mm. And so I think there's a theological argument to be made here. Um, And I think that if we want to think about um, loving as a revolutionary act and as a political act, as a sort of vocational practice, then how might ethical non-monogamy help us in that? Now, of course, I'm a theologian, so I think theologically and ethically about these things. There's There's a whole bunch of people who sort of are into polyamory and ethical non-monogamy who would not ascribe a theological framework to right. what they're doing. Sure. Um, but I do, I do things and I think about things as a theologian. Right. I do too. So I can't separate it. Yeah. So but I don't want to, that's not the conversation I want to have. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, as a person who many years ago said to my partner, um, I need, I need multiple intimate relationships. Um, and my partner was like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So you, yes. Okay. And we had rules about what that meant and how that worked and whatnot. And I read the, I read the book that Tristan Terramino wrote um, that was published in 2008 that if anyone has questions about ethical non-monogamy, or polyamory, you should read this book. It's called Opening Up. I'm writing it down. I'm writing okay. it down. Opening Up by Tristan Terramino. Um, and, um, and, you know, we, we need to be clear that, that 
the ways in which we have had relationships and the ways in which, you know, women's intimacy and men's intimacy, whether formal or informal, it's always been a part of our sociality. It's just not always been a part of our political imagination that open relationships or non-monogamous practices has been um, has been a thing that we talk about, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's so it's always been a part of human practice, mm-hmm. and definitely, um, and and we need to get clear on if we're going to advocate for women having intimacy with other women and men having intimacy with other men. We need to have a deeper conversation around. Um, how does that shift or shape our understanding of monogamy? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, like Dan Savage and others have had this conversation on their podcasts um, for years. Um, and, and, you know, these relationships can be as radical as we want them to be or not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, in you know, in in 2015, when my longtime partner and I decided that we were no longer a fit, um, I decided then that I would only have relationships with people for two reasons: one, that it that it was a vocational thing, that it contributed to my call and vocation, and two, that it affirmed non-monogamy as as a sort of orientation of relationality. Um, because for me, one person can't be all things to me. Um, and I may have a nest partner or a life partner or a lover or someone I go on dates with. Um, and they all might be different people. Now, that doesn't mean that I have sex with all those people. Mm-hmm. I may not have sex with any of those people. But what I'm, but what I am, what I am affirming is the the possibility and the potentiality of having varying intimate relationships with people that contribute to my flourishing and and i think that is me being a good theologian mm-hmm. yeah flourishing is a big question to me and where yeah. i go to as an ethicist right i feel like that is a, a christian ethical concern as human flourishing and yes and an end to which we uh aim for and our what we do but to like how are these different like to me in my you know white mind and my just really limited understanding of this like i view my because i have lots of intimate relationships for yeah. sure i i even you know as a gay woman i have so many close male friends yeah i don't have sex with any of them um uh-huh. I don't want to, yeah. but I have great conversation. You know, we work out together. We share meal, like super intimate, close, deep relationships, but I call them friends. Uh-huh. Um, and to me, that's not a question of me being polyamorous. I'm just a person. I, I think of myself as a serial monogamist. Uh-huh. And I don't even really know what I mean when I say that. Just that I <laughs> Yeah. Whenever I get into a relationship, I want that relationship. I guess when I th- say relationship, I mean someone I want to have sex with. Right. 
um, and be, have like a commitment in terms of we're only going to have sex with one another and have a level of emotional intimacy that we're only sharing with each other. Um, I guess that's what a relationship would be to me. So with one person, but then I have other intimate friends and family members who I have emotional intimacy with. Uh, right. So that to me, like, am I functioning in a poly? Like, could I explain this in terms of polyamory or am I? So, so let me say this. I think we should do a better job of loving our friends and, 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 and that we should love our friends better than we might love our lovers because friendship is so important in this this moment. Right. Yeah. Um, So I want to say that. And then I also want to say that, you know, polyamory, um, as I've heard it described, um, is, is the ability to love more than one person romantically, sexually, platonically, or otherwise. Hmm. Um, and, but then everyone's polyamorous in that definition. Right. I mean, <laughs> so that's my other question. Like, aren't we all just kind of poly? Like we're all just loving each other. That's what Christians are supposed to do. I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that polyamory might be a normative Christian mandate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think where where people get hung up is that we have created a hierarchy yeah. of, of intimacy yeah. and, and relational hierarchy that our partner – we should only have one partner. Mm-hmm. Um, we should only be having sex with one person. But mm-hmm. like, who's to say that sex is multiple things? Like we could have intellectual sex with some people. Hmm. We could have physical sex with others. We could have, you know, I don't know, maybe cooking with someone is some sort of sexual activity. Of course, I'm broadening the definition of sex, that sex just doesn't re- refer or relate to genitalia, which maybe. I- Erotic erotic would be a better word. Well, I mean, so, 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 you know, as I heard yesterday on a, on a podcast, there are eros, right? So erotic is different than sex. Um, Yes. A hundred percent. And um, what if sex is broader than just genitalia? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the other thing that we need to think about is who do we find pleasure in? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I have what I call my husband of the heart, my life partner, mm-hmm. um, who is my nest partner. We live together. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I want to live with my romantic partners or my lovers, but I like living with my husband of the heart. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm violating some sort of christian narrative no i'm making home and community with someone with whom i live well together mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i mean i i think we need to be having these conversations yeah, um, too. and and it's and it's not about promiscuity um that's a completely different conversation yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um we we need to be having the conversation about relationality and love and commitment um and fidelity i mean the, the thing that people know about me is i'm deeply devoted to my people Mm-hmm. whoever you are right mm-hmm. um we 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 may have an emotional connection or we may have a sexual connection or we may have a romantic connection or whatever or an intellectual connection 
and I'm deeply devoted to those connections. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's part of living into what I think is a faithful response to intimacy and relationality so that, so that I flourish and that I encourage others to flourish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do we go about then thinking, thinking biblically with this type of, with, mm-hmm. with this, because the Bible obviously has written over, you know, two millennia has all sorts of cultural differences about what relationality looks like, what marriage looks like, what love looks like. Super diverse. Yeah. Changes. Like how, how can we use the resources in the Bible to talk about this? I think that's where I struggle, especially when Paul's like, you know what? If you like, can't control yourself, like that's when you should get married. Um, and that's what marriage is for is controlling your burning desire. And I'm like, man, anyone who has hormones moving around in their bodies, like has sexual desire. It's a natural, right. It's our animalistic, natural human thing. Right. Uh, and I hope that marriage is more than, than that. If that's, you know, like I like marriage as a, a sacramental concept, but but what does it really mean and what is it for? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I would say that the, the resources um, are the language is limiting, right? Yeah. Um, that I think what we've seen over millennia is that language has evolved to respond to our experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we know that, interpretation matters and the ways in which um, certain things get interpreted then then create an imaginal framework for us um, and that framework then is tied to Christian practice and doctrine and then has been institutionalized right mm-hmm. and so now marriage we understand is vocation and sacrament mm-hmm. I could get on board with some of that but not all of it yeah because we need to take seriously if experience matters as feminist and queer people, then we have to leave room for the evolution of language responding to the evolution of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, because what, what we also know is that marriage, I mean, marriage in the time was, you know, you know, during the 300 and 400s, people were just shacking up and living together for companionship and may have had multiple partners and the Bishop would ride his horse and say, okay, now you're married. And, and, and so now that is a marriage. Well, of course that has evolved and has become a, 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 a sort of spectacular event that we have now. Um, but we, we need it. We need to really do a genealogical project on, what is marriage and what is relationships? And they may not be the same, mm-hmm. but, but we conflate them mm-hmm. to make an argument and to fit with what we have in scripture. And I think that's not a faithful read. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Cause I want to, I want to write a piece on this for my upcoming blog spot on um, women in theology's blog. Um, uh-huh. 
Just because I've been thinking about it a lot. Yeah. And I want to wrestle with it as a theologian and as a person who hopes to be a priest soon. It's like, how do I pastorally respond to somebody in my community that comes to me and is like, you know, Sarah, we're thinking about doing this. You know, does this fit within the, our Christian faith? Or how do, we, how do we reconcile this or make sense of this? And I want to be able to have a good, you know, uh, honest and meaningful conversation. Um, yeah. But I still don't feel like I'm ready or know how to do that because I don't, I, I guess I even have trouble understanding, you know, what Christian relationships are supposed to be about um, and why we make, you know, like you said, a hierarchy of which relationships are best or yeah. which ones we're going to give you presents for. Um, or not well we i mean we need to remember that today's orientation around marriage and committed relationships are also part of a neoliberal subjectivity of privatized um relationships and i I don't know that those are christian Mm, say more about that well i mean Think about um, what it means for today's couple, which is a two-person unit, um, you know, compulsory heterosexuality or homosexuality, uh, living together, um, closed off to the public. You go to work, you come home to your partner of sorts, and 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 you're actually divesting from community and investing in a sort of neoliberal subjectivity of individualized, privatized relationships. Mm. That's not Christian, right? Christianity Mm. is about building the kingdom of God on heaven, uh, Mm -hmm. building the kingdom of heaven on earth. Mm -hmm. Um, And, And so we, I mean, there's lots that we need to interrogate and there's lots that we need to, need to um, be thinking about um, and we need as as many people writing on the subject of love relationality mm-hmm. in Christian practice that we can mm-hmm. I would encourage you to write it thank you I'm going to even if I stumble a little bit that's when you can respond and say Sarah think about this and I'll be <laughs> yeah. like oh thank you so much I needed that insight um, yeah yeah I think what's been helpful to me thinking about this, oh, what I was going to say was it's not like monogamy is working out very well or marriage, right? Like right. we we suck at it. And I don't think yeah. it's going to get – it's not going to get better. Like humans just suck at like not just relating to others but like knowing ourselves and doing right. the hard work of like, I don't know, learning – anything about yourself or how to be self-disciplined or any sort of introspective work I think is completely lost on most folks. Yeah. Um, So to think about, okay, this isn't working or at least the way we're thinking about monogamy and doing relationship isn't working. Yeah. What's another way to think about it that might be more faithful to the human experience, but also our Christian faith, I think is a great question. Um, well, I, I mean, I like to think about relationships as are, rela- are the relationships we have, whether they are 
emotional connections, sexual connections, romantic connections, those aren't always the same. Um, Whatever the intimacy that we have with people, are those relationships benefiting, responding to our call and vocation? And are they in turn helping us flourish? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if not, why not? Mm -hmm. And if so, how can we continue to curate those relationships so that they are helping us flourish? Mm -hmm. And those are, those are discernment questions that, that we often don't ask. I mean, I mean, you know, we have these 19, 20, 21 year olds getting married after knowing each other for six, nine months or whatever. Um, and, and I would say, you know, my preference is to be with someone for decades and then say, yes, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm committed to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing the commitment on the front end. Right. Hoping it works out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hoping you I, I get just, along. Yeah. I mean, the way, the way that we have framed, relationality um is i just think we we have a misguided approach to relationality and it has stemmed from in part victorian puritanism mm-hmm. Puri- puritanism um and this like hyper romanticization yeah, of shit yeah 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 even from the time we were little kids watching disney movies like right. You know, it's just been ingrained in us culturally. Uh, This idea of what love and marriage looks like or just relationships, um, romantic relationships. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we should be critiquing the shit out of all of that Mm -hmm. every every day. Mm -hmm. And I'll be the first person to to join that work. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Um, I think all of this thinking for me has been a good launching off point for making me look at my relationships and what I want. Um, and as a pastor, like what am I telling my community about love and relationships? Um, right. Right. I, you know, I think the last thing I would say is that love is a political act and, and, and if, and if, you, if you're you, whoever you are, if you aren't um, loving for the revolution, or if you aren't loving to further the politics of love, then I would say you've capitulated to um, the hyper-romanticized neoliberal subjectivity that um, that goes back to women are the better half of men, mm-hmm. and and that that is not encouraging our deepest, most radical flourishing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not a critique. I ain't trying to take nobody's marriage away, but. <laughs> but but what I am saying is that we need to love each other deeply mm-hmm. and we need to, um, we need to fight for each other. 
um, and the reason why is because liberation is key. Um, and so my ethical non-monogamy is about collective liberation and it is about um, leaning into sort of relational anarchy so that we can get free from the bad theology and the bad religion that keeps so many of us down and oppressed Mm -hmm. in relationships that don't encourage our flourishing. Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah. Oh my Lord. This is going to be an ongoing, uh, mind. Your, your ongoing project. Oh my God. Thanks again, Dr. Robin, for taking the time to share your wisdom with us. And one of the things I adore about Dr. Robin is their ability to embody their theology. What Robin teaches and preaches is literally what they live out and are each and every day. And I really respect and appreciate their authenticity and devotion to their work and life as a theologian and a spiritual leader. I'm grateful to learn from them and their particular experience in the world and all of who they are. So thank you, Dr. Robin, for being you and keep doing your work. The world needs it so much. Y'all can find Dr. Robin's work at irobin.com. And as always, please follow us on all of our social media outlets and consider donating to Theosophia at our Patreon page. We'll see y'all next week for another conversation with a woman in theology. So have a great week. Peace. Peace.